Welcome, fellow baseball fans, to episode 52 of the Banish to the Pen podcast, a group baseball blog produced by diehard fans of the podcast, Effectively Wild, the daily show from baseball perspectives. I'm your host, Ryan Sullivan, editor-in-chief of NatsGM.com and the Baron of All Baseball Podcasts. This week, I am proud to welcome back two friends of the podcast and two authors at Banish to the Pen. I've got Nick Strangis and Tyler Baber with me today. Nick and Tyler, how you guys doing? Doing great, thanks. Great, thanks, yeah. Thanks, guys, for coming back on the show. I'm really excited. Uh, about a month into the baseball season now, um, very unique time in the season. We've seen some strange things, some small sample sizes, and also maybe some trends. So I'm excited to talk some baseball with you guys this week. I'm excited. It's uh, 52 is my lucky number, so I'm glad to be on the on the 52 or episode 52, brother. Nice. That was uh, totally planned. Not at all. So that's a um, that is an absurdly specific lucky number. <laughs> Where are you playing that? Bingo? Like, when is that yeah. working for you? Uh, the lottery. You Here comes Powerball. <laughs> okay. Or a 15, uh, 62, 23, 42, and 52. There's there's your numbers. There's Come on, Kino. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's start the show the way we start every show this week. Um, introduce you guys to the audience, uh, Twitter handle, who you're a fan of, where they can find your work, uh, besides Banish to the Pen and all that good stuff. Um We'll start alphabetically. So, um, Tyler, get us started this week. Yeah, I'm Tyler Baber. You can find me on Twitter at Tyler's Notes. Um, and you can find my writing less at Banish to the Pen now. I started a new job recently, so that's taken a hit on my um, my writing abilities. But I also am uh, weekly at the Dynasty Guru on Dynasty League fantasy baseball stuff. Congratulations on the new gig, Thanks. Um, definitely since I think the last time we've had you on, so congratulations. Yeah, I started back in um, uh, the off season, but uh, it's picking up again since the season's in full swing. Sure. Uh, just a quick editor's Sorry. note here. I would like to uh, just mention that we've seen a lot of guys move up here. They started Banished to the Pen and then get new jobs around the, uh, the web. So if you're looking for a place to uh, get started writing and hopefully uh, maybe use it as a uh, – step to a, a bigger and better platform or at least a bigger platform anyways uh give banish the pen a shot so anyways just my uh just a digression so nick uh introduce yourself sir oh my name is nick strangis and i'm on twitter at caps orphans and you can find all of my baseball writing that's fit to read at banish to the pen and um yeah i'm a, a cubs fan Foremost, I live in Atlanta, so I do follow the Braves as tough as it is right now. And um, I, I also have a family uh, history with the, the Twins, so um, at least one of those teams is, is succeeding at the moment. Tyler, who, uh, are you, who are you a fan of? I think I yeah, I'm a fan of the Phillies. I missed that question. Sorry. Yes, I'm <laughs> a fan of the Phillies. We, we have most of the um, the... I guess I'm not going to insult you, Ryan, but uh, the less interesting teams of the National League represented here today. Actually, I think you know, East. I, I, I want to maybe save this for later in the show, but I, I actually want to talk a little bit of Phillies. I've been really impressed with them this season, and they, they've caught my eye as a team that's a lot further along in, the, in their rebuild than I thought they were. So, But, um, guys, let's start. First place, we have to start in, in a little bit of homage to the co-godfather of this podcast, uh, Sam Miller. Uh, we've got to start with Rich Hill, who is 
uh, I don't know, the best pitcher in the American League right now? <laughs> One of the best pitchers in baseball? Uh, what is what is going on, guys? I mean, I, I'll start with uh, I'll start with Nick, I suppose. Just Rich Hill. <laughs> what is going on? Uh, it's really bizarre. I mean, he uh, you know looked really good last season, and I guess I just pulled the numbers up, but it was twenty nine innings pitched. Um, and he pitched five innings in 2014 with two teams. Uh, I mean, the guy's just, he's always had that crazy curveball. He's always had the movement, you know, going back to when he was with the Cubs. I guess he hasn't consistently pitched in the major leagues. I, I, you know, God knows how long. He had that one year, 2007, 195 innings with the Cubs. And I don't see a single year of 100 innings since then. He's basically been a reliever or injured. And, uh, you know, one of the coolest stories in baseball, probably my adult life, is this resurgence. He, um, you know, one of the few guys older than me in baseball that's actually starting to, um, you know, starting to make something happen for himself. So I, I just love it. And, you know, like I said, it's that, it's that you know, that crazy, crazy movement that um, in a time when everyone's going harder and faster, he's just getting, you know, getting the strikeouts, I guess, on that, you know. Um, that nice curveball that he always had, and and you know, some other stuff going on. So um, I can't explain it, but I just know this is what I love about baseball. Like you just never know when Ari Dickey is going to become Cy Young at the age of thirty five, thirty six, or when Rich Hill is going to, you know, turn up and suddenly, uh, you know, do something amazing like this. So I, I don't know if you guys have have thoughts on what's going on. I, um, I I'd like to mention anybody else raising their hand as they got burned by the two in 2008 drafting Rich Hill way too early in fantasy leagues because <laughs> I'm guessing a lot of people that are listening to this are raising their hand right now because I I drafted him in like the third round thinking all right he's my ace yeah not so yeah. much well and that uh, and and that to me points out the similarity like and this is not similarity in player profile but just like storyline is that there's a there's a Scott Casimir thing going on here. Very true, and and that's another name that comes up. Absolutely, good point. Which is to say, like, I guess the question is, you know, we saw Scott Casimir come and then kind of level off or or hit what is probably what his true talent is now. Um, so, if you had to choose, like, which which one was more exciting, Casimir or Hill, right now? That's a great question. Nick, go first because I actually need to stew on this yeah. one. Um, I I don't know. To me, Rich Hill just being as old. I mean, for a baseball player, he's ancient. And yes, thirty six. I don't think I. You could have told me that fifteen times, and I would have forgotten it every time I watched him pitch. But like, no, he's not thirty six. But yeah, yeah, he he doesn't look it. Um, I I in my memory feel like he was good more recently than eight or nine years ago. <laughs> it doesn't feel like that was that long, and so. You know, with Casmer, yeah, it was like we saw him coming, and then he got a level off. I, I, when I was watching Ritz Hill with the Cubs, it was always all about that crazy slow curve, and I was always thinking in my mind, this probably won't. You know, it was almost like he was throwing two pitches. And in my mind, eight years ago, I remember thinking, okay, he probably can't be this good for a <laughs> long time, but at least you know he's a solid, maybe middle of rotation guy for a couple of years. You know, even if he doesn't continue to do this well. And then obviously it just all fell apart for him, unfortunately. And, um, you know, part of the Cubs falling apart was correlated with Rich Hill falling apart. So um, I'm always happy to see like a a guy that has that connection, uh, you know, come back around again. Um, 
guys that were in there for the dark times with the Cubs, and now they're having success. I'm I'm up for that. So, from my perspective, that's where I'm going. I I, I don't know. I mean, the the sheer time is amazing to me, and I have to lean towards Rich Hill in that way. But the entire story of pitching for the Sugarland Skeeters and pitching in independent baseball and going to the kooky pitching uh, barn in, in Houston and relearning how to pitch. I mean, that takes it to a whole nother level for Casimir. I, I'm, I'm playing in the middle. I don't know. They're both amazing. And yeah, neither, it's not a fair question. And, and, it's not like... <laughs> and the other point that I want to make, if I can do it, is just neither one of these guys has come back as like an Oliver Perez for the Nationals where, okay, the guy flamed out as a starter, lost, lost it, and then came back and is now a loogie or something, or is a reliever, and you could kind of see that, all right, that that happens on occasion. But these guys have come back, and, I mean, Rich Hill has got a one-something ERA now, or even less. Casimir uh, is a mid-rotation starter and just earned $36 million or whatever it was in the free agent market. It's just, it's exceptional to me that these guys are full-time mid-rotation starters or better. Yeah, I um, I mean, so if you, this well, we can play the Sam game a little bit. If you uh, were... A GM, you had a need or whatever, and you were offering Rich Hill a contract right now. What would you? What what's? What would you go? Um, what's the highest you would go? Um, I, I guess I'll go first. I, I made Nick bite the bullet the first the first time. Uh, just the fact that I think he could possibly be a, a reliever if things really blew up. I think I'd give him a three year, thirty three million dollar contract right now. And feel pretty comfortable about it. And my floor would be that he's a high leverage reliever. Yeah, I yeah was, I'm actually I'm with you there a little bit. Um, that if I if I saw him in free agency, I'd say um, probably 10 million. You know, maybe or, or you know, around 10 million. So right around the same figure you're talking about. And I might want to try to game like the third year in terms of like a a vesting option or a buyout or something that would. You know, if, if he absolutely, you know, his arm fell off today, right. that at least the third year I wouldn't have to eat it. But I think that, you know, a lot of teams look at him and they're going to use this athletics time. If the A's don't, you know, win a lot of games and they end up trading him, that's probably going to, you know, tell them how to use them. It looks like they're only using about five innings to start um, for the most part, uh, which is interesting. I guess just trying to get him back into it. And that's what the Red Sox did last year with them. So, you know... If a guy can be really good for five innings a game, you know, that's fine with me. Um, I'd rather have a guy that's really good for five innings than a guy that kind of stinks for six and a half, seven innings. You know, like, I don't know, like Ricky Nolasco or <laughs> Santana have the ability to pitch late into games, but they're not very good. So I'm right there with you, Ryan. Yeah, I, it's like he's the type of guy that um, seems to me, yeah, you incentivize the heck out of it, the contract you and try to get him because I mean even like the I could see the Rays or any team like that being able to use his skill set and um, if you've got a contract that you can spread out um, then he's he could be a great tradable asset like it's just it's a little crazy it seems impossible to me that he's going to stay on the A's past I don't know past the All Star break like he's they're they're not going anywhere and he's. Yeah. Um, if he's even a little good, he's exactly the type of player they trade. But they they only have a year. There's not an option. There's not like that's it's sort it's a weird contract. I guess it's a risk, but 
Like you make I a mean, great point. Josh Johnson got what ten million for one year? Like yeah. Goodness, how many Brandon Morrow five million dollar contracts has that guy gotten? I mean, yeah, you're yeah, right, exactly. And and I mean, the thing with with Rich too is, um, if you're a small market team, you kind of have to take risk. He's the kind of guy you got to be able to bet on, you know. And Rich Hill himself might not work out, but there are lots of Rich Hill type players, maybe not this old. So I think you know you're looking at like the Royals, like you said, the Rays, um, the the Pirates. You know, all those teams. This is the kind of guy they got to go take a shot on yeah he seen he screams june 15th trade to me <laughs> rather than july 31st you don't want to wait too long on him and sell that you can get another month of value out of him but and you know look he's owed you know the baseline for his contract is like six million dollars is what it looks yeah. like you know just on a glance so that's that's zero money for a, a small market team to worry about so i think he he could be traded anywhere yeah that that's a great point so uh, guys, let's move ahead. Uh, I want to ask. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, kind of following up on surprising left-handed pitchers without great velocity. Um, Adam Conley, I believe, earlier this week with the Miami Marlins was pulled after, and I don't have it in front of me, so don't crush me, internet fans. But I believe in seven and a third, and he was at about goodness 117 pitches, something along those lines. This is building a little bit off of our conversation that we had last week on the Jake Arrieta pitching and getting the no-hitter in a 16-0 win with the Cubs. Um, Everybody heard my comments last week. I want to thank the audience members that emailed in and didn't agree with me. I thought it was great. Um, Keep them coming, so to speak. If you don't agree, that's great. Uh, I want to set it up for you guys, though, to share your thoughts. One on First on the Arrieta topic briefly, if you've got a take, and then a little bit on Adam Conley as well. Uh, let's start. Uh, Going to start with Tyler. Why not? Sure. I um I love Adam Conley. He's like I. You've heard I am into dynasty fantasy baseball. It's like one of my. I spend more time thinking about that than I probably do watching real baseball. And he's the exact type of player that I love. Like the not not a prospect, but. Um, going to be better than a third starter type. Um, just a really quality profile um, who's playing in Marlins Park, which is going to help a lot. I like the Marlins outfield defense quite a bit. Um, I think that there's a lot of, you know, there's there's ups and downs and there's risk with injury, but there's a lot of help for him. Um, so, you know, he's going to, I think, outperform his peripherals. That's the sort of thing I would have said Um Back in January, I don't know that I would have predicted this, but we saw something similar uh, with Henderson Alvarez, who's, I would say, even less of a um, breakout potential uh, playing with the Marlins. But obviously, super, super different profiles. I, As far as, like, can Conley deliver? Is he legit? I think he is legit. I think, I mean, he was playing against Milwaukee, who's going to strike out. Um, probably if I was pitching, you'd, I'd be able to strike a couple of those guys out. But because they're just going to swing wherever it goes. Um, but that's, you know, this is the National League, and this goes to the Arietta thing too. I mean, the National League this year is half of it is just awful. Um, and so getting a no hitter through seven and a third or seven and two thirds 
is not going to be a huge, you know, wow, we got to watch this. Like, that's going to happen a ton this year. It's going to be like 2010, 2011 all over again, if you ask me. Um, so sort of, on, I'm sort of towing the line. I think Adam Conley's real. Um, I, I am really excited. I, actually, the Marlins rotation is more interesting than we maybe would give it credit for. I wrote the Marlins preview piece, and I didn't mention Adam Conley in it, so I should um, don't take me too seriously with everything else I just said. No, you were um, hot. you were stashing a sleeper, is what you were doing. You weren't yeah, that's sharing. Right. That's you weren't right. sharing. No, I don't eat. even think I have shares of him because um, there's there's a million of guys who look like Adam Conley in January and then don't look like Adam Conley in the middle of April. <laughs> so it, so it sounds like you're fa- it, you were in favor of Mattingly pulling him though because you oh, like his long-term potential. I do like his long-term potential. I think I mean this is a tricky one. I can see um I a hundred I, I don't know that I would I would believe you if you told me the difference between 116 pitches and 125 pitches. Like I would I'm not sure I would understand the mechanics and the the kinesiology behind that like that's not a place where i've got any expertise but on on its surface i think the the pitch count crew is kind of overselling the importance of that measure of health um on this on the flip side you know if if he throws 130 pitches and then next time goes out and throws 70 um and gets a little bit more rest like whatever like give him they need to they need to treat him uh, delicately, they need to believe that he's going to be a part of that rotation for uh, maybe whenever the next good Marlins team is. Who knows when that it will be? And then um, at the same time, yeah, a no hitter is not a big. It's it, it's a big personal achievement, but it's not going to be must see TV this year. It's going to happen a ton. Nick, what's your take both on Adam Conley and the uh, and and in, in addition the uh, Arietta deal because you are a Cub fan, kind of through that lens. Oh sure, I mean just. To follow up what Baber said, what Tyler said, I'm, I I totally agree. Conley seems to have the kind of uh, you know, deception, if you will, that he may overachieve his peripheral numbers for a while. So, um, and I'm not won't be surprised if he's a pretty good picture for several years. But um, with the no hitter, I think that it's Mattingly's job to make sure he's enabling his team to win as many games as possible. And if you're looking at Adam Connolly going into, you know, like. If you follow through with that game, he was looking at 140 pitches to get through it, and it's not so much like Tyler said that game in by it you know, by itself. It's does he put a strain then on the bullpen the next time he comes out because you don't know what circumstances are going to be happening five days later. Maybe the bullpen just went through a, a you know long extra inning game. Um, maybe somebody's injured and you you don't you know you can't put him on the DL. You're not sending him down, but Maybe you're short a relief pitcher. And just beyond that, the longer Connolly goes in that game, the more likely, you know, sure, he's going to get pulled after he gets a hit. But with the relievers, you don't know when it's going to come. So you got them, go, you know, getting up and sitting down. Um, it just seems really complicated. And I just, I know it's not popular. And I guess like the Brewers fans were actually booing, um, <laughs> were booing Don Mattingly. But I kind of side with Mattingly on this, that he had a tough choice. I think he did the right decision. That's, you know, looking at the long run, and not just like I'm not talking about Tommy John surgery or you know what Connolly's elbow is going to be doing in six months, but just looking at the next couple weeks and does he have the pitching lined up 
to be able to let Conley go 140 pitches, you know, when that's not something he's ever even come close to before. He's going to be tired in five days. Is it going to rain on, you know, hurt his bullpen? All these factors. And that's why I don't really fault him for taking him out. If it was a eighth inning and he was at 115 pitches, I'd say, sure, you know, let him let him go. But he had a ways to go still. And that's the biggest thing to me. Yeah, I think that's and that's the first point I think we we need to make is these similar these situations are similar, but they're not similar. I mean, Arietta had far fewer pitchers, has done it before, is more of an established big league pitcher, has, has thrown the innings before. So uh, I, I also would just before we wrap this up, I'd like to mention that I think Fangraphs, if it was Jeff Sullivan, uh, was the author, he wrote a great piece on Adam Conley about ten days ago highlighting the horizontal movement he's getting on his fastball, and that's part of the reason why he's having such success. So something that I hadn't even thought about and, and just another good piece by Jeff Sullivan, so check out yeah, his work. Yeah, and um, that's right. That goes with, the, I guess, the recent Effectively Wild episode where Jeff Sullivan has thought about all of this about two weeks before any of the rest of us. Um, but two things that I want to quickly, um, Nick, you were talking, reminded me that I want to, I guess I do want to commend Mattingly for pulling him after a walk, which, you know, if, if we're cybermetrically inclined and we're going to, you know, a walk is the same value as a hit, like the runners on base, the values there, I mean, it worked out for the seventh inning. It came back to um, be a little bit more dangerous um, later on in the, in the game when the milk with the brewers came back um, pretty effectively, but the, like, that's a, I think that's something that Mattingly didn't get a ton of love in uh, LA from the sabermetric crowd. And I don't know if this is him, like if that's, if that's a change in his thinking or whatever, but that was a, that was an impressive move that should, I think be commended. That's the sort of pressure that a manager, I think, you know, they've got to, they've got to really do a gut check there. And that was a, a smart move. And then I also want to commend um, the Marlins broadcast team. I was watching it uh, through MLB TV listening to the Marlins broadcast and sort of going back again to the effectively wild email question from earlier. I'm not, not familiar with that team. I couldn't call them great. Um, they're certainly good, uh, but they were like, I think you can judge a broadcast team really effectively in a big game like that and a big situation. And they were, um, you know, handling it really delicately. They weren't throwing it like they weren't throwing Mattingly under the bus. They were really understanding like, okay, he's at this pitch count. This could happen. As soon as he gets a hit, he's out. He walks a guy. Mattingly pulls him. They like really broke it down effectively and, and uh, in an interesting way. Um, so that was a broadcast that I really enjoyed. Great. Both great points. I think too often the announcers forget that they're supposed to tell about the game, not give their opinion on what's being done on the field necessarily. So um, if you guys have anything else you want to – touch on with adam Conley. I, I think we'll move forward i'm i'm good i just want to point out that justin Bohr becoming a solid major league player is also really surprising to me as a former like journeyman cubs farmhand <laughs> shout out that's the weirdest thing <laughs> shout out george mason i watched that kid play a lot of college baseball there you go there you go uh let, let's touch on a little bit uh let's stay with the marlins theme Surprisingly, I'm not sure we've ever had two Marlins topics in a in a podcast. But uh, D. Gordon got popped for 80 games for two different types of performance enhancing drugs. Uh, just kind of want reactions. I, I think 
is kind of the first place I want to start. I'm not sure that I want to jump on my soapbox and talk about PEDs, but um, I guess your thoughts when you woke up and saw the news that D. Gordon got uh, hit for 80 games. Uh, I guess we'll start with Nick. Um, just it can happen to anybody in baseball is what I've come to realize. You know, when we had Nephi Perez being, uh, you know, getting hit for, for PEDs, I just realized that it, it's, you know, all relative to the person. Still, it's it's pretty surprising to see a guy who is known for, you know, being fast, basically, and being able to put the ball in play, and those are his two main skills. I mean, that's like, you know, I mean, he's not as good as Ichiro. Let me start with that. But it's like Ichiro getting hit with a PED scandal. You know, what's what's up with that? So I was pretty surprised. Yeah, I mean, uh, and we were saying this off air, but uh, D. Gordon might be the number one guy that I was, that if you had said who is not on steroids in baseball, I think that right. might have been my first answer. And then we were kind of joking off air. Yeah, well, what about all those sprinters and track athletes who get hit with steroids all the time? And oh, I was yeah. Like, I mean, Marion Jones, you know, went to went to prison ben, for a little while. Ben Johnson I mean, it was had, more perjury than, <laughs> than the actual PEDs, but it's pretty serious in other sports. You know, cycling, it's a really big deal. Yeah. Um, but I guess um, where I want to take this conversation is who is the – if. D. Gordon was my number one seed for a guy that was not on PEDs. Who is now your new number one seed for a guy that is, if he is on steroids, I'm I, I, I'm just giving up at this point. Well, I would like to name some names that you could have had this conversation about as well. Um, who? Uh, so um, Freddie Galvis was suspended for 50 games at one point. Uh, Bartolo Colon was suspended, which, um, you mean you want to talk about completely different types? Like, I can't believe he, he would have been a great one seed, too, and he's already gotten busted, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's like, there's, I guess this is like the thing, it's it's hard to tell. Like, Edison Volquez was suspended for 50, 50 games, I didn't know that. Francisco Cervelli, uh, I'm looking at the list right now. Cameron Maben was suspended for 25 games for something. Did you know that? I didn't know that. That was last two years ago. I had no clue. I just thought he was hurt again. <laughs> I just thought he was bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and I think, um, so to me, the I guess my answer would be, like, it would be the bad player who isn't, you don't consider a power bat. You don't, maybe, like, I would say any pitcher, uh, especially a relief pitcher, like a, a middle reliever, wouldn't surprise me. Because we're talking about the guys who are using PEDs um, for conditioning or for... Uh, recovery, things like that, like to, to get the edge, to keep them competitive. Um, and so, I mean, to me, to I guess to get on the soapbox a little bit, um, the D. Gordon, like, I, he's, the, he's the type of player that, like, I have a hard time understanding how PEDs help him because I can't imagine they're helping his eye. Um, they're not helping his Babbitt. That's not the thing that PEDs are going <laughs> to improve. So, um, but he's like, he's, it's probably keeping him on the field. It's keeping him, like, he's using it to recover, and especially with his legs. So I guess that makes sense. So maybe, like, a, um, maybe a Ben Revere would be a, a good comp. I wouldn't, Darn. I guess I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, that was my seed. All right. Good, good one there. All right. Good one. Nick? Adubal Herrera, then. I'll take him. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I was going to talk about, actually, Jose Peraza, who we've talked about. I know Ryan's seen him play. Uh, just like a, you know, all um, contact hitting and speed shortstop um, who's, I guess he's yeah. been up, you know, already to the majors and is right now, I think, in AAA. Um, 
hasn't been up this year with the Reds yet. But um, you know, those guys that just hit for contact and run fast, it's like, why do you want to put on extra muscle? You can only slow yourself down. You know, like we've seen Mike Trout, he's not slowing down exactly yet, but it seems like the 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 frame is is starting yeah. to catch up to him a little bit. So I'm like, you know. D. Gordon, like you're the fastest man in baseball, practically. <laughs> Why would you want to take any chance that you slow yourself down? Um, yeah, extra muscle. So, couple really of surprising na- stuff. A couple names I had was Billy Hamilton, kind of the same idea, just slap hitting, really, really fast guy. Uh, you mentioned Ichiro, but then I had to cross him or knock him down a peg because he is forty something years old, and longevity might be a steroid thing, even though you know that's complete conjecture. And the final name is Tyler Clippard. I, I just I can't envision that guy taking steroids. I mean, just he's so gangly and kind of awkward throwing, and, and he's a great pitcher. But I just I can't envision Tyler Clippard being. If he got busted, I would just be like, all right, I'm floored, I'm done. Like you know, that's I mean, all. The better question is how awkward is it to picture a guy actually like injecting himself with something? <laughs> I mean, I just can't. Like, could you imagine the Oakland A's just having like a party in the bathroom? Like, all right, who's got the syringe today? All right, who brought the sandwiches? All right, who brought the Jolt Cola? Like, what's going on there? But, anyways, oh, that's a mental image. So, uh, guys, next topic we need to jump into, and I think it's appropriate having a Braves fan on the podcast and some of the recent reports we've seen going on is uh tanking in major league baseball and i think ken rosenthal touched on it in a piece this week if i have that wrong i apologize but um it it seems like atlanta's trying to trade for tradable draft picks in a year where they're just terrible and they're four and 17 or whatever they are at the present moment um we've seen tanking be a problem I, i think is fair to say in the nba and maybe to a lesser degree in the NHL, although those are getting a little bit out of my uh, expertise. So let's talk tanking, guys. Um, I don't know who wants to start. Um, Maybe I'll go with Tyler first, maybe. Yeah, sure. So um, in terms of discussing tanking, I guess it's it's really important to designate, like, what's the difference between tanking and rebuilding? Because there's... and, And effectively, Wild's covered this pretty well. I think most... Um, most fans, if your team is the bad team, you call it rebuilding. If another team is the bad team, it's like, oh, that's not sportsmanlike. They're tanking. What about the fans? Yada yada. Um, so I think that's a that's a distinction that's important to draw. But in to me in baseball, like there's not a ton of um, institutional um, incentive to tank. There's not like in basketball, the tanking became its absolute worst. Like once the the draft lottery system was sort of revised a little bit, I don't know enough about hockey, but like, your people are are literally legitimately bad on purpose, putting out a team that like the I'm in Philadelphia, so the Sixers are have been putting out a team for years that like just wasn't even good enough to be competitive when they when their best players were uh, on the court. Baseball is very very different. It's a long it's a long season. You're going to win games. You're going to have hot streaks. Um, so much of it can just be dependent on outcomes of one or two run games. Um, I think we see that with the Phillies this year. Like The Phillies were supposed to be bad, um, but they're performing really well in one and two run games early in the season. Their pitching is striking people out, so they're performing much better than people expected right now. On paper, they're still not a great team. Um, 
And I think, you know, if you had to ask me down the stretch who would who would win more games, the Braves or the Phillies, as a fan of the Phillies, I would still call it maybe a coin flip. I think um, all it takes is an injury to a pitcher or something and their their team's much worse. Their bullpen is, is nothing. So that like that's the, the difference between tanking and rebuild. All that said, I think um, the there are a few baseball teams that have tanked recently. I would consider what the Astros did tanking, and I would absolutely 100% consider what the Braves have been doing tanking. I don't think it's because of the baseball stuff. I think it's because of the ownership, Cobb County Stadium stuff. I think they're, they just have no interest in having a good team, and they're focused exclusively on the future. I don't think they're focused on the future in a good way. Um, I have nothing positive to say about the Atlanta Braves baseball club right now. I mean, I don't know if you guys listened to Effectively Wild, I think it was yes, or sorry, Friday, so at the end of the week, and they talked to a reporter about her story about how the Braves are fleecing cities for stadiums everywhere because the Braves own all their affiliates, and they're pulling the same thing in every city, except when you go to Atlanta, you're dealing with a city that's negotiated stadiums many times over, but when you go to Pearl, Mississippi, they have never negotiated on a stadium. They don't know how to negotiate on a stadium, and the Braves are pulling in their heavy hitters and you know getting new stadiums out of these small towns all throughout their minor league system. It's Kate Smith talking and to. It was right. a great. It was a great piece. I would just like to put a little of the ownership back on these governments and municipalities, though. If, if you can say no, <laughs> at some point well, it is going to come I mean, up. But if you think about it, like that was part of Bud Selig's legacy was convincing like they're doing this with on the major league level teams that have been around like they've all it takes is to be able to say hey the you know miami added the stadium and here's a completely unrelated um correlation that we'll use to tell you hey your tax dollars will improve or whatever like they're they're gonna have the dot the teams are gonna have the dollars to put behind supporting bringing the stadium in um to convince these you know city councils who don't have the economics majors and their poli- political, I'm 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 giving them far. I'm giving the the bad guys like I'm calling the, the teams ownership bad guys way more than city councils here. I I, I don't know. I, I agree with your point, fantastic, and I think you're right. But I think that we're if we're not there, we're reaching a tipping point where these the municipalities and particularly the voters are just going to say, why are we building another stadium? We've seen an entire generation of these stadiums go up and we don't see the revenue come back. We don't see the jobs created at least long-term. I, I think it's ignorant of these politicians to not, the economics is out there. It's clear as day that these stadiums do not generate the revenue that they certainly say. And, and what you put in is not what you get back. I think it's our generation that's going to start doing that, that's going to start saying no, to be honest. Um, I mean, we'll still have politicians that want that feather in their cap, but I think it's going to be, we're the ones who have lived through a whole generation, like you said, of watching, you know, like in Minneapolis, they're still paying for the Metrodome, as far as I know, and um, maybe not paying directly for it, but the tax has never gone away. They levied in order to, to pay for the Metrodome. They just liked having it, so they kept it around. And, you know, I've heard many complaints about that, and it's, it's going to come around, you know. Well, I mean, just famously, somehow the city of Washington built Nationals Park, and yet the Nationals are going to get all the naming revenue for the stadium. I mean, it's just those kind of agreements that make you shake your head as, as a taxpayer. But 
yeah. we're probably going down the wrong avenue. I want to take this back to tanking, though. And, and the and a point that I want to make before I shift it back to Nick and, and the perspective of the Atlanta fan is, I think that baseball fans have accepted rebuilding. Hey, you trade your the Rich Hill if you're Oakland, and you know Oakland's not the perfect example, but you're struggling this year. You have a one year a player on a one year deal who you can't keep, so you trade him for future value. I think we're we're okay with that, even if people don't get much value back, and and you can judge that. I think that the fear right now is that the Braves are talking about, hey, dump your terrible contract on us. We'll take that money as long as you give us a tradable draft pick, and I. And the backlash kind of started with the Arizona trade with Tukey Toussaint and taking on Brunson Arroyo's deal. I think that is where this line of rebuilding versus tanking gets a little muddy. And I don't, I would do it if I was a GM. And if my team did it, I would be fully in favor. But I do think that's a, and I hate the term slippery slope, but I think that's where maybe you're starting to really get disingenuous about trying to compete and, and doing things and, and doing things on the quote up and up right it's different if you sign say rich hill and like both chris young the pitcher and chris young the outfielder a bunch of guys who have some upside and so you go okay maybe we win a few games maybe if we're in it you know we can we can be ahead of schedule a little bit but when you're just like the braves and you're signing tyler flowers and gordon beckham and uh jeff francor and uh all those kind of guys you know drew stubbs was brought in at the last minute um, because uh, you know, thankfully they realized that Michael Bourne was just kind of done. Um, but that's not the same thing as what the the Astros did to some extent. I think the Astros tried to bet on some guys, and then you know, it didn't turn out well. Well, uh, the Phillies are betting on guys. I don't know. Maybe the Astros not. So yeah, much. I guess I would. I mean, when I think about when the Astros tanked, I would say like they were they were heading into seasons planning to lose you know, a hundred games. They were, that was like, maybe they had some projections that had them winning slightly more, but they had no intention of fielding a competitive team, which I don't like. And I don't, I have my own personal philosophy about that. I don't think that should be the primary drive. But um, if you look at like what they were doing, they were, they were trying to be worse today to be better down the road. And I think that you know they got in a position where their rebuild was going to take a long time. It wasn't worth trying to do a um, a quick rebuild, so th- they did it the way they did it. I think the Cubs did it to that way to an extent, but they also had the dollars. Although I guess I would say the the Astros probably had the dollars if they wanted to spend them. The sure. the difference, I guess, and if, I I mean I look at a team like um, the Padres where I think the Padres also could be historically bad this year. I, I cannot believe how bad that team is. It doesn't make sense. But there was clearly a plan that they tried, and it just backfired completely. Um, and they're kind of just stuck with it. That, like, to me, so that is, they're not tanking. Maybe they should at this point. Maybe they should just push all their chips, take all their chips out and, and cash out. You think out what the Braves are it. doing, though, because there's this, like, um, they're kind of pulling up, you know, everything out of Atlanta before, you know, just not even trying in the last couple of years. Um, does it make it kind of unique in a way that, hey, they're just saying we're not even going to try while we're still in this city. We're putting all our money on the next, you know, the next stadium. Yeah. Um, I mean, in that way, I guess they're closer to the Marlins from before the move to Miami. 
Can yeah. I, and let me ask you guys, and this this kind of builds off your point. Do you guys believe that the teams have a, I don't know what the word, the proper word is, a, uh, they have to uh, try to win games and compete? Is there a, you know, a moral obligation with the city that you and your fan base to actually compete? I mean, do you guys believe that, or do you believe that, hey, if it, it, there's no difference between winning seventy games and fifty-five games? I've been through it with the Cubs, and my belief the whole time was better. If you're going to win 75 games, then you might as well win 65 games. <laughs> um, that, uh, and also because it shows you when a front office knows what's going on. Because as a fan, it's it's hard to tell the difference between um, in the past when the Cubs knew they were coming up on a tough season and when they thought they were going to be fine and it was just injuries or you know unfortunate performances the year before. And then they go trade for Matt Garza and send most of what's left of their farm system in order to win, you know, 75 instead of 73 games. That was a really tough year for the Cubs. And it was a tough year for fans because it felt like the front office didn't know what was going on. Um, so when you come in and you have a front office that says, hey, we know this isn't going to look pretty. We're going to do, you know, they, they give you the whole like everyone is sacred or we're trying to compete every year. You know, the complete BS that that is. But you can see by their actions that they understand they're trying to get the team back to where it should be. And, you know, I don't know how Tyler felt about when, you know, Andy McPhail came in and suddenly they started, you know, like they traded Chase Utley, um, you know, pretty big guy in, in recent Phillies history. Um, I don't remember when Jilly, Jimmy Rollins, how that went down exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great, I mean, that's exactly where my head's going. It's like, yeah, I'm with you 100% Nick, the, to me, I'm willing to, as a fan, and I, I will consider myself very different than the average, I'm probably most of us are different than the average fan in our... Everyone um, listening to this is different than yeah. the average fan. I, I But yes, go absolutely. But I think, any Philadelphia fan, uh, yeah, admit weakness okay. is a big difference for me, just, just to put that out there. <laughs> I think um, one, of the, one of the big distinctions, and I, I think this is true, I think this is true... Um, even for the average fan, it's like you just need to know that there's a plan. You can accept, um, you can accept the plan being we're not going to be as good this year as we wanted to be. Um, but but here's the plan. Like so, okay, maybe the win we think we're going to win seventy five this year or sixty five. But here's the plan to get us to you know eighty nine ninety plus wins. As long as there's a plan, then the fans are going to be very forgiving and and follow it pretty far. With the Phillies, the, the challenge was there was a plan up to and in, like through 2012, and after that blew up, after that that didn't work, there was like it was just so, totally clear that there was no backup, there was no way out, um, and so you know when the new regime came on, I think actually Ruben Amaro uh, and I wrote about this at Bench to the pen at some point last year, I think. Ruben Amaro had made some moves that were smarter um, and showed some potential that, you know, if he had stuck around, I would have had a little bit more confidence that at least he had a plan now. But the new regime has, you know, come in and said the right things. Like, okay, here's our plan to get there. And, and we're seeing some results of that in terms of the trades they've made a little bit in terms of the performance. I mean, to me, the difference between a 65 team and a 75 win team is... Um, you know what you would get out of it if you were to go to the ballpark. Um, it's it's more fun 
when you're in person to root for a team that's winning. If you're watching the show, if you're watching it um, like on TV, then yeah, there's not a difference. If you're just following the season along, especially remotely. Um, so I guess Nick, as a Cubs fan, watching some of the bad teams from far away and not having the at least I can go to Wrigley Field and get that whole experience. Like, yeah, that's probably brutal. Well, like you don't even get to take advantage of when the tickets are cheaper and easier to yeah. get. I just do it in Atlanta right now. So when the Cubs come, well, and, and so yeah, even when go the, the whole weekend good, for fifteen dollars. <laughs> yeah, even when the Braves were good, you could get a good seat for pretty cheap. In oh, sure, yeah, yeah. I I went to a. I mean, the Braves have always had trouble. I don't want to go into it again. They've always had trouble selling tickets, at least in recent history. Well, and, and speaking as a Nationals fan, I, I I sat through two seasons of them being the worst team in baseball, and I look back on it now, and you saw the plan, you knew what it was. Whether or not, you know, like you say, it is tough going through it at the time, and I wouldn't want to go through it again, but you knew what the plan was, and at the end of the day, it got Steven Strasburg and Bryce Harper to Washington, and some of that's luck that those two guys were the ones that were the draft picks, but nevertheless, they're the keystones of our franchise, and now we've had five or six years of pretty good success, depending on how you want to define it. The, the one thing that I would say is when you're seeing some of these uh, tanking or rebuilds or whatever you want to call it, I think that, one, you want to see a plan, but you want to see some guys on the field that, hey, maybe this guy was a top prospect that failed someplace. Dustin Ackley sticks out as just a name to, as an example. You want to see a few of those guys on the field because maybe one or two of those guys breaks out and becomes a legitimate player while you're struggling in this you know, purgatory of losing. I mean, Mike Morris was a, was a good example with the Nationals of somebody who took advantage of the playing time that he received that he wouldn't have otherwise and, and made himself a ball player. And I think those are the kinds of things you like to see on the field while you're losing, and then you can get behind the effort a little bit. Uh, I'll use a, a Dubal Herrera with the, the Phillies right now. You're seeing a guy that got an opportunity he wouldn't have, Rule 5 guy, moved to center field, and has now made himself a legitimate major league player. And, and those are the kinds of things that you can get behind, I think. And yeah. Those are the kind of things as a fan that I love. Like, if I was a Phillies fan, I'd be like, wow, they looked at this guy and said, we're going to put him in center fields, and we think he'll make it. And, and he has. Uh, and maybe Freddie Galvis is a player, and, and like I should be talking about the Phillies over Tyler, but, <laughs> but, but you know, and then you see Jared Eikhoff, who was kind of a throw-in in that uh, in the Cole Hamels deal, has now made himself a, a, a really solid pitcher. I mean, those are the kinds of things where you can say, yeah, we stink, but you know what? Wow, all of a sudden we do have some pieces here of these guys could be on the next good. We use Philly's team or insert team name of whatever rebuilding team. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things I think this is changed a lot with the second wild card is just what it takes to be competitive is com- has shifted so much fantastic point. that you see um you know you don't have to be that great to uh become competitive really quickly and so to that end like when i see a team that's got a, a plan that's like okay this is bigger than three years this is going to take us longer than three years to be willing to invest back in our team and, and go out and sign players or make the big moves. Like I, that strikes me as completely disingenuous. If you, if you can't get competitive and get to, to a 500 uh, team within three years and then turn that 500 team into a, you know, a playoff contender pretty quickly, then you probably shouldn't have a job. 
Yeah. It, it, the only caveat I'll make is unless you have like the Angels farm system. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Angels have Mike Trout, and they're going to be like, and that's they true too. To rebuild. They could trade him <laughs> in one second and rebuild their farm system in a day. No, it, and and you make a good point there. So, uh, guys, I want to move ahead off the off the tanking topic if I can, and, and to kind of the final subject I want to bring up this week. And we're about a month into the season now, give or take. Go uh, when everybody's listening to this, and I think we've reached a point where. It's not a small sample size yet, but yet it still is a small sample size. But are there a couple of things or a thing or two that's jumped out to you that's been a surprise, either positive or negatively, um, with this baseball season? Um, I don't know who wants to start. I'll start if you guys want to uh, get a second to think or or get your ideas up. But uh, I'll go ahead and start. Why not? Uh, This kind of builds off what we were talking about a second ago, but um, I'm really surprised at the 2016 Philadelphia Phillies and and what they're doing right now. I just watched them play the Nationals this week and sweep us uh, in our ballpark, and that team's a lot better than I thought they were uh, even a month ago. Their their pitching staff, uh, I'm a big fan of Aaron Nola and have been, um, but I didn't know how good Vincent Velasquez was or is and that he would be this good this quickly. We mentioned Jared Eikhoff a minute ago. Uh, has turned himself into a pitcher and if they can get a little bit from Hellickson and I know they lost Morton I mean they're going to get a quality start most days and Herrera is not a bad player in center field Michael Franco is a nice player at third base they've got a little they've got some talent around there and uh, that team is a lot better than I thought it that it was certainly on opening day and I I think they're rebuilt and and maybe kind of touching on Tyler's uh, statement a minute or two ago is I think they're a lot quicker and farther in their rebuild and, and maybe we all thought a month ago. Yeah, and to play off that, I think, I mean, to me, the, the Phillies have a lot in common with um, the the Showalter Orioles and the that trend you see of a team that's not good but is can somehow pull it all together in uh, in close games. And that's the sort of thing that, I I 100% believe isn't predictable and um you know the Phillies could be nothing the rest of the year but it's at least we're excited now so we're going to keep watching. Um I think the White Sox are I I guess I would have predicted to be, them to be exciting. I really wanted the Indians to be what I've wanted the Indians to be for years. I I just <laughs> I love that team on paper. Um but I can't help but um root for the White Sox right now, especially because, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not a Cubs fan. I guess I should want them to win a world series. That would be the best story for baseball nationally in a long time. But I would, I would be in favor of, you know, the Cubs getting swept in the world series by the White Sox. That would be an interesting storyline. Well, Todd, (laughs) Todd Frazier is certainly, I think we all knew he was a great player, although there were some questions about his second half last year. And wow, he's just what a well. Player. And and Laurie is uh, what I mean. What probably people hoped he would be in Oakland. Like it's a really it's a really compelling team. And, and I think under the radar too to build off that. Rick Hahn has done a fantastic job the last couple of years with that team. That Adam Eaton trade was very good. They've made you know they found Jose Quintana for you know nothing if I remember right Carlos Rodon was picked at three they didn't trade Chris Sale I mean he's he's made some nice moves the last couple of years yeah and their bullpen is um is really really fun to watch so uh yeah, yeah that bullpen's nasty 
Nick, uh, how about you? Anything that's... Uh... It's not really so much um, a happy thing, but, uh, man, the Yankees are just, like... I was looking it up just to make sure it wasn't a fluke. So they're 25th in... Their, their hitters are 25th in wins above replacement, according to uh, you know, Fangrass, and that was supposed to be, like, the good side of their team. I think a lot right. of people are threatened about their pitching staff. I, I think that's a great point. I think we were all worried when Chapman went down, and, or not down, but was suspended, yeah. and uh, you know their pitching was going to be their weak link. And goodness, they can't hit. Yeah, um, and Carl. I mean, um, what's weird is Castro is hitting. So you would think like if the team—that's I guess the thing. Whole thing here is when teams fail, but for strange reasons. Like Starling Castro is part of the solution, not part of the problem. That's so weird. Um, I mean, I, I figured he he'd have some good seasons for the Yankees. It's just strange that he's you know, kind of pulling them through this. Um, and then the Astros, similar thing. I thought last year would be the beginning of a rise for them. I guess we're all a little surprised by this, but just that well, the collection of talent they have there um, isn't getting it done. Um, you know, Yeah, the Astros are completely the flip side of the one, the close games. Like they can't, they can't win a close game. And they spent all yeah. that money or they traded all those prospects to get Giles in there and, you know they have Gregerson. That has been have... brutal. Oh my gosh, that's sad to see. I think that'll turn around quickly. But you know they um, tried to go yeah. after it to build that bullpen, to... like, and now it's you, you know Tyler, as you're saying it, it's kind of blown up on them. I think Jeff Lunau learned the hard way that when you trade with an Andy McPhail led team, you have to be really careful. It doesn't matter what <laughs> year it is. It doesn't matter who does I, this in a while. I mean, I. Uh, I I know it it's a cheap feel like shot. Golden days. It does feel like golden days to have the Phillies winning a trade against uh, with the Astros again. It's like back in you know, 2008, 2009 all over again. And it feels like a cheap shot right now, and, and I know Giles will turn it around, but it really does feel like, wait a minute, we, you know, why are we trading so much for, for relief pitchers? I mean, it's kind of a stark re- reminder of, you know, how foolish that trend got this offseason. Yeah, it's like the reverse of the sabermetric money ball rise now that we're over over paying again yeah i mean you know when you can get a, a joaquin benoit for you know two middling prospects and he's a de- and then you go spend give four v- legitimate prospects including velasquez to get giles it just those kind of th- it, it got a little out of whack is what i'm trying to say yeah so and just the opposite of what you would expect the astros to do you know um you know, it's like what next is jerry depoto gonna lose his his like you know, faith in the not overpaying for relievers thing and then go out and spend a bunch on a reliever. You know, if, if the Marlins are, are competitive, it just seems weird. Yeah. Uh, I guess the other thing that surprised me is I never thought I would see a 96-mile-an-hour slider and Noah Syndergaard threw a 96-mile-an-hour slider this year. I, I, that was a surprise. I just didn't think sheer physics would allow that. <laughs> yeah, especially for a starting pitcher to even attempt it seems pretty nuts. Right. Another great point. Yeah. I might have dreamt about a reliever doing that. Yeah, exactly. Or throwing a cutter type version of it. But it's there. So, um, guys, maybe this is a good place to wrap it up um, for this week. So, um, kind of let's uh, let's conclude the way we started and um, have you guys just share where your Twitter, where you are on Twitter, where you write, and um, anything you want to share. Um, uh, how about Nick? Start first. Why not? Sure. Uh, so I'm on Twitter at Caps Orphans. And um, you can check me out on Banish to the Pen. Hopefully this coming week, I got a couple of things coming out that I'm working on. Um, one of which is kind of a, a prospect road trip. So that should be fun trying to catch up with where everybody is now because we had some uh, you know, early promotions and demotions already. Um, so hopefully we'll punch that up this week and get somebody to help me uh, 
make it look nice. I'm guessing Dansby is is written a couple of times in there. Yeah, he and, and Albies are moved up already, so that's pretty exciting. And, and that's something I was going to come around to, too, is the Braves prospects are really doing something this year. That uh, system is really, really good. I've seen a couple of their games, uh, a couple of their affiliates already. That Wow, they've done a nice job. I'll give them that. So, sure, sure. Uh, Tyler, my man, go ahead. Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter at Tyler's Notes, and um, I... I don't have anything in the in the hopper for Banish to the Pen at the moment. Um, just put something up at the Dynasty Guru, uh, and normally I guess I'm I'm writing there on Saturdays, which I've got the graveyard shift. So, <laughs> um, yeah, look for me there if you want to hear more of my strong opinions about rebuilding and tanking and things like that. Yeah, definitely just, check out definitely check out your work over there. And uh, I, I'm a big fan of the Dynasty Guru site, so just check them out as well. I, I think that I'm not the biggest of fantasy players, as I said to you off air, but um, when I'm talking or looking at fantasy info, it's definitely over there. So you guys do a good I'll, job. Uh, I'll trust just about everybody else on Earth more like with prospect coverage, but if you are interested in like reading about prospects and, and learning a bit more about them, you know, that is something, even if you don't play Dynasty Fantasy Baseball, it's a really good... Uh, location to get some more info some depth on players you probably haven't heard of very very true so uh thank you guys very much for joining me uh i i I appreciate you giving up a little bit of time on a sunday and uh i hope to have you guys on the podcast sometime uh, later in the season yeah after we've all read um the only rule has to work exactly right i am gonna go rush to my doorstep right now to see if the amazon man has delivered it as we were recording sounds great thanks guys it's been fun Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Tyler. This was great. Thank you. And that was episode 52 of the Banish to the Pen podcast with my special guests, Nick Stranges and Tyler Baber. Thank you guys for joining me. Uh, That was a lot of fun covering uh, several topics today. So thank you very much. Hope to have you on uh, sometime later in the season. A couple of quick plugs before I get out of here this week. Um, I'd like to mention that Darius Austin, uh, our guest, I believe, last week, um, has completed his multi-part series on the site about uh, traveling across the pond and visiting uh, his first baseball game in person. So, wonderful uh, series of articles. I definitely highly recommend you guys check it out. I've I've really enjoyed uh, the perspective and reading it all week. So, uh, great job to Darius, and uh, definitely check it out on the site. Other thing I want to mention, uh, the NL Central podcast should be returning sometime this week, hopefully midweek, uh, so keep an ear and an eye out for that. Uh, we've got a really good crew uh, doing a neat little podcast over there, so uh, definitely check out the, what they're doing. Uh, if I could get a cheap plug in, uh, if I might, uh, this week on my show, the Nats GM show, uh, I had Doug Thorburn, uh, pitching guru at Baseball Prospectus and author and and just pitching uh, savant on the show and I also had Rob Arthur from 538 on this week uh very interesting great interviews that I think might be interesting and uh particularly uh good listening for uh, this audience so if you want to go check those out uh check out natsgm.com my site or uh, you can find us on iTunes by searching natsgm show that is it for this week this episode number 52 is a wrap uh with one quick reminder be nice to your fellow listeners <laughs>